Hello. 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 So what's going on? How's life? Good. Life is quiet. Life is quiet. I like it that way. <laughs> I do too. Chris, how about you? I miss Arturo. Oh, I do too. I know. No one misses Arturo. <laughs> You're right. Um. So this well, is how. Well, but I was going to say we officially lose our sexist label now that we have a woman on the podcast. Uh, and Sarah, <laughs> as the woman, works, right? you will be responsible for giving the viewpoint of all women everywhere at all times. You're comfortable I, with that, right? I can handle it. All right. Okay, good. good. I don't know if the rest of womankind can, but... Uh. I will say, you will have to be able to be reduced to basically one identifying quality fairly soon. Because, like, I'm the radical, Arturo's the token conservative, uh, you know. <laughs> what am I? Johnson. Huh? What am I? <laughs> What's Chris? Uh, well, yeah, a couple. Chris, well, Chris is the pop culture guy, right? He's always going to be our. Arturo's the token guy. conservative. You know, I uh, he always he's he's always the guy who he does tries. the devil's advocate conservative yeah. position, right? He listens to conservative talk radio. For crying True. out loud. Um, no, so anyway, I'm joking, but you know. So uh, think about what your one identifiable characteristic will be, and all of the answers you give will have to be predicated on that. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. It's a privilege to be a part of the podcast. We did have Gwen Sharp on once, though. On this one? Yeah. Oh. Was I there for that? Uh, I don't remember. Possibly not. Chris, were you? You were, Chris, weren't you? I was there, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we forced her to speak for all women. Uh, I think we just made her speak for the western half of the United States. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, but yeah, this is usually how these things go for the first few minutes. We go, so, what should we talk about? Um, and that's, and then we edit it out and make it look like we had ideas from the beginning. Perfect. So, um, the Occupy, the Occupation, as I understand the kids call it now. Yeah. Is, is one topic. And uh, I suggested we could talk about uh, this, the Steve Jobs stuff. Cause yeah. There's, there's some fun stuff there. Um, any other potential topics, timely or not? <coughs> I feel like there's another good topic, though. I think the Occupy stuff keeps going for a while. It's, you know, it's contemporary, man. Yeah. In Jesse's last email, he mentioned possibly following up with the Slut Walk stuff. Which oh, would yeah. make a nice social movements theme, but we don't have to get there. Yeah, I'm pretty clever. I, awesome I was tradition. not familiar with the slut walk. You know? Oh, really? I've only really heard, barely heard anything about it, and I guess I would would I be in the slut category? I don't. I mean, how do how does one? Well, it's what, a what self definition, right? Or or so is it's attempting, or so they are attempting to make it by reclaiming the word. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. Because we once claimed it and then it was taken. 
No, because <laughs> that would be a... So it's not reclaiming, it's just claiming. reclaiming. Yeah, I guess. That's Redefining? A, or... Very good point. People always use the term reclaiming there, but that's not reclaiming. It's single claiming. Pre- <laughs> it's... Well, it's already been pre-claimed. Um, so I guess then it's claiming the word slut as a positive word. Right. Great. Or I don't know that that's really... I mean, it's not so much about the word, obviously, as it is about the idea that women are not responsible for being sexually assaulted. Right. We we could do something with that. Well, uh, we could do something by talking about that, but then also, like, something about uh, what we were just talking about, like, the way words and phrases get uh, claimed and reclaimed and uh, used, and, like, some words that works for and other words that doesn't work for, right? Like, no one, to my knowledge, has reclaimed Nazi, for example. Except right. like, except Nazis. Right. What about soup Nazi? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah Nazi is used quite a bit. It's just it's not humor, used. Humor usually. Not, mean, not no. I mean not like not like like it's not used by anyone to declare themselves. It, right? Yeah, like the way it works is if uh, it's a ter- if a term of term of denigration can be reclaimed, right? But then Nazi isn't really a term of denigration. That's what I mean. I mean it's right. become it's not, one, but exactly that's why no one's out there saying they're Nazis. I mean, except for real Nazis, well, but yeah. they're they don't count. <laughs> I want that's that's I think the motto of our podcast. Nazis don't count, and we can't. Yeah, you know, and then, then we really don't want to talk about Nazis anyway, because all the nerds on the internet would be like Godwin. Godwin said Nazis can't talk about Nazis. You know how that goes. I I do know how that goes. That was a very good impression of the internet, by the way. <laughs> that's that just- why they all type. I was going to say, that is literally what I hear when I read whiny internet comments. So you're someone going, hey, but, guys, this, this, this is different. Um, yeah, so I feel like there's a relevant point in there. Though, you can't really invoke Godwin's law if we're literally talking about Nazis. That's, that's true, actually. If it's not I mean, unless actual... it's perfect. <laughs> the people occupying the... Wall Street are Nazis. There you go. There, now we can go. No. That happened. I did, are Nazis? I did already hear Ann Coulter call them Nazis, the people occupying Wall Street. What Nazis? Would they be commune Nazis? <laughs> I, God, I hope so. No, but it, it, it was, that was part of an example they were playing on The Daily Show of a really funny, like, so for the first half of her little, I don't know, diatribe that lasted about 30 seconds, for the first half of it, she was talking about how they're all like, lazy stoners playing bongo drums who don't know anything they're talking about. And then somehow as that progressed, they became all powerful Nazis who are going to control the world. And like, I don't get how people can simultaneously, and you hear this all the time with these Occupy things, like they're simultaneously like lazy hippies who know nothing and fascists who are forcing people to do things, which to me seems like rather diametrically opposed things to be. If they I guess type, Obama could also be a Nazi and a socialist. Then, if they tap the right rhythm into the bongo drums, this transformation takes place <laughs> that converts them from one to the other. When the not a lot of people know about that. The fascist. Yeah. Yeah. I knew the drums had to be important, but I wasn't sure. All those horrible drum circles you've ever heard. <laughs> these people trying and failing to hit the right rhythm really? to transform well, them into I must a power. Here, here's something I thought about the other day while being at the uh, Minneapolis version of this Occupy. Hey, there's our in. I'm going on. So you went to uh, Occupy Minneapolis? 
Or yeah, well, you... it's called Occupy Minnesota. Oh but, uh, well, yeah. did you did you actually reach the whole state or just Minneapolis? Well, you know, I don't know. Well, no, because there's also ones going on. There's also one going on in Duluth. I know that. So the state has options. Oh. Okay. Oh. Um. Anywho, so the point was, I was I was thinking, I was kind of musing on this idea of uh, the demonstrators being seen as hippie freaks and whatnot. And now I, as a leftist, am very open to a variety of tactics in a movement. I'm definitely not one of those people who thinks like, oh, we all have to act in a certain respectable manner or no one will listen to us, blah, blah. I accept a diversity of tactics. But when I got there, there was like a group of six people like standing sort of on the fringe of the crowd, juggling obnoxiously. And is there any other way? Well, no, no, of course not. And I say this as someone who enjoys juggling himself. Don't get me wrong. But I just couldn't help but be so annoyed at them. And I couldn't quite figure out why. But I think it's because uh, they, they do make the demonstration look kind of ridiculous, uh, especially if people are already predisposed to see these as a bunch of know-nothing hippies. You come by, and the first thing you see is a bunch of people like juggling out about in a circle. Um, but then I also realized... I, I think I'm so annoyed with them because it's not like it's a movement tactic that people differ on. They're just like kind of self-absorbed people who are like, oh, if I go out in public and do this, people will be forced to watch me. Like, you're not contributing anything. You're just like a jerk who found a public forum. And then that does make us look bad. So I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, <laughs> other than to say, I guess I agree with Ann Coulter on this point. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Jesse's got some unresolved issues with jugglers. I don't know. So. No, and it's it's not just that they're jugglers. You know, you get all these kind of things, but it was like it wasn't related to the demonstration at all. They didn't even try to make like, you know, Wall Street is juggling with our future or something like that. You know, they were just Were they walking they were on stilts people. too? No. But they very well could have been. Would that have made it better? Uh, it would have made it more entertaining. I mean, they were fairly good jugglers. I'll give them that. It just uh, had nothing to do with anything. What part of Minnesota were these people occupying? Was it at the uh, Fed or? No, it's the the government plaza, which is a somewhat I don't know questionable choice, but also that was you know a big place where you can fit a lot of people. I I feel it to be more a logistical choice than anything. Plus, there's a light rail stop right there, you know. Yeah. The, one of the most accessible demonstrations I've ever been to. Location, location, <laughs> location. Exactly. Exactly. So have there been a lot of people? Like, it doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of coverage or... Yeah, yeah were there more than six jugglers? Coverage, man, because the, it's the stuff the media doesn't want you to know about. Uh, no, I, well, I was there the first day, and it was really huge, right, because this kind of kickoff. Um, and, and I've been there since, and, it, like, the numbers really ebb and flow, but there's also a lot of, like, marches and stuff that leave from it or feed into it and things, so... At any given point throughout the day, there's pretty radically different numbers of people there. But it's been a pretty steady presence. And, like, a good 60, 70 people still, I think, are sleeping there every day, too. So, so do they, presence. so, like, so the big the big thing out of the um, Occupy Wall Street is the big meetings that they're having and everything like that. Are they doing stuff like that in Minnesota? They are doing that. They have a general assembly. And is uh, it, like, modeled on what they're doing? Are they all the same? I mean... Yeah, well, and it's also, like, there's actually a lot of similarities with the the original one, like, because we're not allowed to use sound here either, so there's, like, the human microphone phenomenon, which is actually a pretty interesting, I'd 
never of all the many demonstrations I've been to, I've never actually seen it. Of all um, the demonstrations he's been to, he's never seen it. Sorry, that I was. Is literally out. what I just said. That um, is literally <laughs> what he just said. Literally. Well, but what is it, Jesse? Because I was it literally what I just said. Because some of the words were different. I have abused the word literally. Um, but I don't know what you're talking about. So explain the human microphone. Oh, so, you know, there's no amplification allowed, right? And so it's very difficult to hear. So, like, they sort of break up the crowd into chunks, uh, and the speaker, you know, shouts a sentence, and then, like, a person next to the speaker points at, like, the first chunk, and they shout the sentence, and then the chunk behind them shouts it. And so it goes back in, like, you know, waves through the audience of, like, the audience each shouting the sentence so that every single person can hear it. Now, the downside is the speeches have to stay rather simple, and they take forever. But yeah. on the upside, I mean, it's it's a really kind of cool thing, and it's very, you know, participatory. Like, you get to be part of these rousing speeches as well. If but, I mean, I... we've all played the game of telephone as children, and it just sounds like mass game of telephone, and what if the message right. like well, messed up? The other day, it did come out... Uh, they're gambling with our pensions, Purple Monkey Dishwasher. And I did feel something to be off there. But no, it, it works surprisingly well. I put a link in the uh, chat here that I'll also link to in the podcast notes, of course. Uh, it's, a, it's a Planet Money. Uh, see, Arturo's not here, so I have to like put in the NPR podcast reference. NPR. <laughs> I'll do that for Arturo this week. Um, the uh, It's Planet Money, the podcast, and they have audio clips of this phenomenon uh, at Occupy Wall Street. It's actually like a, a nice little 20 minute long uh, show on the subject and they talked to a bunch of people there. They had audio clips of the meetings and everything. And Way to make us look really unprofessional and less good by comparison. Yes, yeah, so, so please just turn this off and go to <laughs> that instead. You are wasting your time right now. I cannot emphasize <laughs> I like the notion of anti-capitalist rhetoric being kind of sung in a round. Right? <laughs> Which is well, sort of what this sounds like. It was it was an interesting show though because hey I don't know I don't know I don't know if you guys know who this guy is but they had um you know have you guys heard of like participatory economics before his name's Robin Hanel he's an economist and he wrote it with the guy he wrote this like series of books on this like socialist uh, alternative economy uh, with the guy from Z Magazine okay. anyway like they had him on like for like this ten minute segment on NPR I thought it was kind of hilarious i was like this is probably more attention than this guy's ever gotten on npr for this in like the 30 years since he, they like came up with their idea or something anyway it's kind of interesting well npr is just state socialism john that's uh, probably why they're covering it precisely though i i do think one of the most interesting things about this that we would be remiss not to talk about as sociologists is the potentially the new social movement model that's that's on display here. What yeah. is this? So also what I something know is, causing is really, so much consternation. Yeah, I want to know what is really new because I have to confess the last like protest march I went to was like an early Iraq war protest, and I was really unimpressed. <laughs> um, and that I mean that was obviously a while ago. So I mean, what's new? What's being done that's new? Well, it's, uh, you know, and here's where I feel like Ballad of a Thin Man should be playing in the background, um, because, man, the people just don't understand. But I, I think, and it's the thing, too, that's causing a lot of consternation in the press, right, that it's not, it's not a demonstration with, like, any concrete demands or, like, 
party affiliation or, you know, the end game, really. And uh, in, in fact, it's almost consciously doesn't have an end game uh, as an idea that, and, and I think, you know, rather sociological idea that the current income inequality and many other problems aren't going to be solved by a particular set of policies or a particular, uh, you know, electoral candidate, but instead require a very long discussion of the priorities that we have and, and those kind of things. Um, but then, of course, it also, uh, as many people have rightly pointed out, very much runs the risk of just being a bunch of people who are angry who get together and don't get anything done. What's new about either of those things? Right. <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, I, well, that's a debate if it's new. Uh, but... <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, well, that, it's funny, though. These things are better done in post, I think. I know, I know, I, I know. I tried. But not to be too facetious, but I can't help but think of that song every time you see, like, actual big-time, like, you know, CNN or Fox-type journalists wandering in there just being like, what is the deal with all these ruffians and what are they so angry about? You know, and uh, just seeming, like, completely flabbergasted um, by all of these things. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it does make me often think of that song. Um I also had a point, oh, the point I was making about is it a new movement or not, um, that's a good debate. But I think it's somewhat unique in the way it's uh, it's very consciously, like, uh, I mean, incredibly grassroots and incredibly avoiding the top-down that usually happens at these kind of things. Uh, and also, yeah, very conscientiously without an endgame, um, which I think, uh, you know, if not a new form, at least pretty different than most social movements you see. The new social movement where we don't know what we stand for. That's well, not no, very no, inspiring to me, this, Jesse. I, no, I think those are different things, though, John. Yeah, yeah. I, they know what they stand for. They just they just haven't well, talked about it. Jesse's a better spokesperson than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. No, I'm just <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it's not that people don't know what they stand for. And I'm sure many individuals will give you a lot of great, you know, policy ideas or these kind of things. But, again, the idea is is that it's, you know, it's not a simple solution, right? There isn't, there isn't a platform that will instantly make everything better, right? It's going to take a massive restructuring of our economy and, you know, this, like, long-ranging national discussion about our priorities, and honestly, given the the nature of the debates around this and given we were just talking about misrepresentations in the media and so on and so forth, I think the further they stay away from a proclamation like that, the better it will be for this particular movement or, and, and people aligned with them. Because yeah. but how long on the we- one hand, they've been losing – like you know, the left generally loses out on these things anyway. On the other hand, the times when I've seen – messages come from organized uh, groups from the the economic left or the cultural left. They've always been really embarrassing, I guess. Like, the first thing we have to do is get rid of capitalism. Like, oh, well, what after that in 400 years? You know, whatever you want to call it. Um, Oh, no, that solves everything. You don't need another step after that, Chris. (laughs) Well... There's no, a lot I'm joking. Of people, you were yeah, making a serious point. I'm sorry. I, w- I was trying to come out with the most snide response I could, but sure. so I think. I mean, the one thing, the one constant stream of of conversation I've heard about the Occupy Wall Street movement is 
like, on the other side of the coin that's saying we don't understand what they want because they don't have a set platform, it's people saying who's going to be the first person or group to co-opt the movement. Right. Which is another real danger of it and, and a really interesting one, I think. Because to the degree to which we're going to equate Occupy Wall Street with the Tea Party, you know, even though I'm sure most of us don't agree with a lot of what – or most of <laughs> anything with what the Tea Party says, they did get co-opted relatively quickly. Yeah. Well, no, I would also say while we're comparing the two, I mean there's a lot of interesting comparisons, especially in the media coverage. A lot of people have noted that. Um, but one thing too is that you know the Tea Party never really had any suggestions of what to do either, right? Or the few that they did were just absurd, like you know, abolish yeah. taxes in the but same they way. Were yeah. Never, but yeah, it was never like, well, wow, what do these people want? What are they doing? You know, um, there was never that same like, how come they can't make up their minds on some sort of narrow policy choice so we can continue to ignore them uh, that you get with this this demonstration or demonstrations. I think that's the advantage of being, well, I might get in trouble with this. I think that's the advantage of being conservative, though. I mean, if your whole point is to go back to a more stable, clear, uncomplicated era, you don't have to defend what you're for because you're just against all the bad stuff that's happening now that you blame on, you know, whatever. Your vision is already, everyone knows what what your vision is, right? Fair enough. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I'd agree with that. I think that's at at least the, that's how they want to see themselves. That's how the ideology goes. Well, yeah, of course, this past they're hearkening to never existed, but it does exist in the popular imagination, or at least the you know, white middle-class popular imagination. I wonder though, I mean, enough time has, we got a comment on, from the last podcast. Um, Ooh, reader, listener comments. <laughs> well, it's taking us further away from our topic who said, you know, oh, I forget the, the exact wording of it, but know, as much as we want to talk about, about it. recent political developments being, a an example of conservative hegemony, you could also understand FDR's push leftward as liberal hegemony from which the conservatives are only taking back ground that they lost back then. So there's always, you know, competing sure. versions of hegemony doing it. And, and, and I just forgot where I was going with that. Yeah. But reacting against a different form was, of hegemony was, doesn't mean that you have not established a hegemony. No, that wasn't the point. That, that was uh, from, from Jamie, by the way, who, who's commented several times on the podcast. Hey, big shout it. out to Jamie. Appreciate it, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think the point was his, his, his larger point was that historically, in the big, big scale um, of the entire country's history, uh, the anomaly is what happened from FDR to, you know, tell the sort of conservative dismantling of that. that that's again, true. That, yeah, that's yeah. the anomaly. Completely. And that's a fair, fair point. I think. I oh. also, I mean, I also don't think that that's the way a lot of Tea Partiers think about it. Or at least a lot of way conventional Republicans think about it. You don't hear a lot of um, nostalgia for the like 1920s or early or 1910s. Did we have a name for? Is it the 1910s? I don't know. It sounds awkward. Tens, teens, the teens, maybe the 19-teens. <laughs> um, like you don't hear nostalgia for those eras. You hear nostalgia for the 50s. But that's that what was I was going to say era about this. Is really. who's going to be nostalgic for that? Who's not already dead? You know, <laughs> like you have to do work now. For, for people who are 
around our age or younger to to want to get involved in that old America that perhaps once existed. You have to do a lot of work to tell yourself that that's something worth fighting for because that's not part of your memory. That's not part of the collective memory anymore. I don't even watch Happy Days. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you only know it through 70s reruns. I think it is part of the collective memory, though. I mean, even even if you didn't live through it, you know, it's still easy to buy this idea of, oh, once there was this time where everybody was nice to each other and knew each other and there weren't all these problems and blah, 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 blah. Like, just because you didn't personally live through well, because nobody lived through it, it's, a, it's make-believe, right? But so even if you didn't, you know experience it directly then but i think a lot of that is for the baby boomer boomer generation and and people a bit younger than that tied to very concrete things about you know early suburbanization and white flight and racial segregation and before the women's movement and stuff like that you can you can point to the changes that happened everyone who's come afterwards has lived in a world where those changes have happened and they've grown up with them and You'd figure they'd have a, a separate vision. Uh, Could have to a an separate extent, vision of what they they've grown up with them. I mean, in, in the broad sense, yeah. But you know, the country's yeah. still quite segregated. You know, and these. But kind that of goes the same for the people who support those ideas. They are just as likely to have grown to have grown up in segregated communities. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just mean like you don't. You haven't necessarily experienced like say a well integrated community if you haven't. I mean, you know, that's not a given. No, but you've ex- you've cu- probably hold it as common sense that there are those things out there. And sure. If you don't, if you haven't seen one or lived in one, you know people who have. You know. Maybe. There's a lot of insular people in this country. This you, is you true. forget you forget how worldly you are, Chris. Unlike your uncle. <laughs> this is can, true. Can I, I go to, home. Can I ask just a question about because? Like, for me, when it comes to movements like this, like the Occupy Wall Street or whatever, like, it piques my interest, but I'm not someone like Jesse who would claim that I'm a leftist or that I'm I'm a hardcore left. Like, I lean left, and I have only ever voted for one Republican in my life, and that's because he was practically a Democrat, and he Uh was the best choice in the place that I was living. But, you know, so movements like this are appealing to me because I... I want an alternative to the Tea Party, and I'm disturbed and distressed by the current political turn and this sort of disinvestment in our collective well-being that I see happening. But, like, without some kind of, like, set agenda or end game, as you've called it, Jesse, like, for me, it's just really hard to, like, grasp what this thing is about and even really get behind it as far as, like, yeah, I really want to kind of throw my hat in this ring because I don't really know if it represents stuff that I that I'm concerned about or, or even or maybe goes further than I want to go politically but yet I'm a very interested person in something in this direction so I you know I don't know if I'm really making sense but I'm like how is it how is a movement like this going to appeal to people that are maybe more more middle ground or or not quite as left and that's right. what me about a lot of these movements and when 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 I participated in an, an Iraq war march, I was like, really? We're going to, like, march and play drums and then sing down by the riverside? And, and yeah, you know, that's it? Really? I mean, so, I don't know. It was that close to stopping the war. Well, I would say... Uh, <laughs> if we'd first, done one more verse. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good concern. I mean, first I would say, can I offer you this poorly Xerox socialist pamphlet? It'll explain all of your problems. <laughs> um, but second, I mean, I think you're right in a sense, but I think that's also... Again, it comes back to this kind of 
maybe not necessarily new, but somewhat radical, like this participatory democracy idea in that they don't have a hook to, like, draw people necessarily because there's no hook that exists. I mean, to an extent, you can see they're trying it. There's that, like, you know, the whole 99% thing, right? You know, so really building not so much a leftist thing. I mean, it's, you know, somewhat leftist by definition, but just, like, you know, we are... It's all of us against this small cadre of super wealthy people. It doesn't really matter your political orientation. But, like, they have that, like, Tumblr blog that's becoming quite popular with the people holding up little signs. Yeah, the 53%. Yeah, the 53%. Uh, What is the 53 even referencing? I think it's that in some places um, there's 53% of the, the population that pays taxes versus a bunch that don't. Uh, okay. But I don't know but anyway, if that's actually true. So yeah, so there are some ways the sort of Occupy Wall Street thing is is doing that kind of reach out or trying to hook people. But then, I mean, you know, if I were coming at this as a movement participant and not an academic, I'd say, well, that's why you need to go there and participate, man. And you become part of that vision. It's not a vision to be sold to you. It's a vision to create together. The Tumblr is supposed And then to I would hit a bongo drum repeatedly. No, I'm just kidding. The Tumblr is <laughs> yeah. supposed to represent the 53% of Americans who pay federal income taxes. And the assumption is that the Wall Street protesters are part of the 46 of the country that don't. I see. No, I actually, you know, Sarah, 47. I have kind of the same reaction. I mean, I, I went to a few protests against the Iraq War, and I just... That's not the kind of environment that I feel comfortable in or fit in. Like, I, I agree with the general thrust. I was very opposed to it, but... I was like, this is this is just awkward and weird and, and seeming ineffectual. And the problem with participatory democracy is that, you know, I mean, or, or with <laughs> uh, the those kind of movements is that, you know, you still, they end up being dominated by the people who love those kind of things. Right. So, you know, the dictatorship of the sociable or whatever the saying is, you know, <laughs> the people who love to argue and talk and debate and hijack everything. Uh, that get in the way of any sort of consensus and just enjoy it. Like they're the, they end up taking it over, you know. So right. that's that's what I always see happening with stuff. Like Not that. inevitably, but yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Well, uh, and to me, it's all about turning people out at the polls. Ultimately, I mean, right? Because I mean, the protest movements are are good, and I think that they're an important part of of our democracy. But when like the chants about the chants that say, you know, this is what democracy lo- looks like, I'm like, well, part of it, but a huge part of it is those booths in those polling places and what people are checking or, See. you know, penciling in. And I'm like, to, so for me, I'm like, well, how is this going to translate to, you know, votes? As, you know, as the resident uh, radical, I guess, uh, of the podcast, I would, uh, I would argue it's not about getting to the voting booth in that, uh, you know, again, these problems are not going to be solved by a Democrat or a Republican, and that's, for for the most part, your choice in the booth. But I think there's sort of, even, you know, even if you have the, like, electoral idea, um, there's still this idea that just, like, you know, much like you could argue the Tea Party put a significant right-wing pressure on politics, um, you know, or this whole possible hegemony of right-wing ideas that we talked about in the last podcast, you know, there's kind of like an idea of this sort of, you know, push factor in the other direction, right? Like, if, say, some enterprising Democrat wanted to put on some Wall Street restrictions, and those are 
big qualifiers. But if they wanted to, this would be like, a, say, a perfect opportunity for them to be like, look, you know, there's this huge social unrest, guys. Maybe we better pass some new laws, you know, or something, right? So it does at least create, you know, the space for, for other political action to happen, if that's the way you want to look at it. Yeah, I... Right. I, Go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think I, I see the... Look at look at what happened in 2008, basically. Um, there was a pretty big movement of um, sort of progressive unrest, if you will, and dissatisfaction with, you know, the Bush years. And all of that energy got channeled into the elections, you know, or the great majority of it. And then, you know, we elected Barack Obama, and then we everyone sat back and, and said, everything's okay. everything's better now. now but, but that doesn't work that way. You know, I mean, and that's what the Tea Party has done right, is that I think, you know, you mentioned them being co-opted by certain politicians. I think that's somewhat true, but they cer- there certainly hasn't been a single Tea Party candidate whose failure or success defined the movement at all. And, you know, what, whichever candidates win or lose, there's the fear on the right of, you know, the Tea Party backlash and pressure from the Tea Party. And that's what, you know liberals and progressives have not done is that right. or, or at least that's not done well enough right. Um, right. democrats get elected and then you know i mean you know the old saying republicans are scared of their base democrats loathe their you know right. <laughs> um, well i was gonna say yeah for a local example i mean look at tim Pawlenty. tim Pawlenty, you know used to be a democrat then the political wind shifted and he shifted with them but he was always a really moderate guy and always pretty liberal for a republican but then when he wanted to run for national office, man, it was like night and day, just like sharp right turn, you know? And probably, I mean, not all because of this Tea Party thing. Or the same thing with Mitt Romney, right? Who once, who basically invented the motto that so-called Obamacare is based on, right? Or at least his, his team had a big part in it, you know? And that presumably is because of this like significant sort of Tea Party type pressure. And yeah, I... I guess I'm apparently just saying exactly what John said, but I agree <laughs> that, you know, this kind of a sustained, like, Occupy Wall Jesse? Street movement and sustained, like, sort of progressive anger in the streets could, you know, at least somewhat move the conversation back the other way. But, yeah, I mean, you can imagine, uh, you know, o- Occupy Wall Street candidates or the occupation candidates. That sounds really funny. Um, but you know, you can imagine that happening like has happened with the tea party where it's, you know, the, the movement doesn't go away. I mean, just right. because particular candidates win or lose. Um, well, and to be fair, people keep, uh, positing them as opposites, but there's, you know, there's a, uh, non negligible, uh, number of tea partiers who end up at these things, right. Too, because again, it's, you know, tea partiers aren't necessarily super happy with the, like, uh, rich 1% and blah, blah, blah. There's a bit of, I mean, there was always a bit sort of of like populist anger towards wealth in the Tea Party too. Just, I would argue, a little misguided, but... Actually, I was looking at a um, a post that I haven't read yet in Foreign Affairs by Sidney Tarot called Why Occupy Wall Street is Not the Tea Party of the Left. I was like anxiously scanning it because I was thinking maybe this would offer some insight into our discussion. And it would be a way to actually cite a sociologist and sound like sound like learned and stuff. Unlike other movements, the rallies across the United States have no distinct constituency, put forward few policy proposals, and have a shifting configuration of supporters. They are something new. These are We Are Here protests. So, hey. Wasn't that... Clear, clear, as, clear as could be. Wasn't that an early part of 
of LGBT organizing, the whole we are here thing? Well, yeah. we are here movement. I mean, often protesting for visibility is kind of a long history in, in protests. That, well, I still Chris, don't buy that that's a new thing. Why don't you let me read from the article real quick? We are here <laughs> movements often flare up rapidly and fade away just as quickly or disintegrate into rivulets of particular claims and interests. Others, like the new women's movement, eventually coalesce into a few organized sectors, each with its own set of policy demands and political identities. It is too soon to tell which of these will be the fate of Occupy Wall Street, but one thing is certain. We are hearing a wake-up call to a complacent corporate sector and its Washington enablers, signaling that there is a new force demanding change at the grassroots of American society. Really? That's what it says. (laughs) That's what the guy says. I'm still unconvinced, but hmm. I let's need have more a drums. meeting about it. <laughs> that's that's far too cynical to close the topic on. You guys aren't going to let that happen, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I lost it for trying to read. What do you guys think? Occupy Wall Street? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could go either way. No, I think. I mean, more even, like Occupy you know, Ball Street. <laughs> Oh, see, that would, that's how we ended. I can't even come in with a serious point. Uh, no, I was going to say, even if it doesn't come to some sort of, you know, great Revolution. watershed moment or policy, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of amazing enough that it happened, you know? I mean, it's yeah. uh, that, you know, thousands of people, I mean, there's thousands of cities across the country participating in just sort of this spontaneous, like, occupying of space to say, like, Man, things have gotten really bad, you know, like, uh, and clearly some culprits here that are being, you know, not at all punished or held responsible or reformed or anything to do something. You were talking about tactics earlier, and I think. Right. For this to go any further and kind of respond to Sarah's comments about, you know, is there a way for someone who's not already, uh, you know, a down left person to participate? Is there a way that the Occupy Wall Street people – I don't understand the leadership structure of it or anything else. Is there a way for them to communicate some sort of message to possibly aligned people on how they can participate without you know, occupying public space, without having a platform? Or is there something they can do that's more proactive, do you think? Blog about it. Well, I'm yeah. joking. I feel <laughs> just s- blow up Twitter. <laughs> I feel slightly baby. like I'm not qualified to speak for the you know entire movement, um, but I mean, there's you know there's all sorts of like they obviously have a pretty big web presence. Like there's the you know the various like there's occupymn.org I believe it is, um, you know, or the Occupy Wall Street as this thing, and they have their Occupied Wall Street Journal, you know, like newspaper they put out. I, I believe any of these resources will probably give you a number of ways that you can be involved other than physically occupying, you know, space though. That is kind of, it's, it's bit, you know, yeah, space. but I'm just, you know, I'm reminded of, um, you know, classic McAdam stuff, right? You've got to have a, a certain amount of biographical availability to be able to occupy space. Right. Yeah. So no. there's Public a, there's a large people, portion of people who don't have that. Space. Exactly. Yeah. It's quite true. That's quite true. But again, so, you know, I'm not, uh, as no one person is qualified to speak for the movement. And as if Sarah has to speak for women, you can speak for six dollars. Yeah. Come on, Jesse. No way, dude. This is complex. It's not women's issues. 
Oh, man, we're going to have to edit that out. That was a terrible joke, no and it's going to make you sound horribly sexist. It's time to time to uh, be held accountable, Jesse. That's true. See, now here I am acting like a Wall Street fat cat. There you yep. go. You're exactly the same. Hey, Arturo just signed on. I saw that, too. Yeah. Should we... Uh, try to ring him in or just do you think he's just like uh, signing on to talk to other people hey improv hey <laughs> we're just talking about you uh oh that's no, not just good kidding. We were I heard you're conservative this really <laughs> what is this conservative what are you talking about yeah I heard you're the conservative on the show I, I like yeah. the sellout I'm, I'm more of the sellout I think see really? he can always take yeah that was what Jesse was saying is that you were the <laughs> You were the token, token conservative. Because you always like listen to Glenn Beck and stuff. And you should be proud of me. I dropped yeah, an NPR true. reference earlier. No, good, good. <laughs> what, are you, what, are you, what are you guys talking about besides my uh, radio Slip-ups. habits? That was, that's uh, we were... actually been it for the past hour. Just what's Arturo got on the dial today? <laughs> <laughs> so, does anyone have anything they want to promote or endorse or talk about before we get going? You should listen to my new podcast with Elijah Anderson this week. It's uh, on uh, his new book, The Cosmopolitan Canopy. It's good stuff. Where can we find that, Arturo? It's on the Society Pages uh, website, the uh, Office Hours podcast. And, uh, the societypages.org slash Office Hours. That's what you were asking for, I suppose. Yeah. You know something I don't recommend is the last uh, social improv, which said something about RoboCop that I listened to the entire thing, and there was no RoboCop discussion whatsoever. <laughs> besides Chris just going, "No, I'm just kidding. I really don't want to talk about RoboCop." Was, which, there was, was like 15 that. minutes of RoboCop discussion based on it. nothing. And if I had played my cards better, and I should have, I could have created an entire fake RoboCop discussion for about half There's, an hour. Yeah, I was going for my run. I was like, "Huh, RoboCop? That sounds interesting. I'll listen to that." <laughs> Boy, was I disappointed. <laughs> the you should write the classic bait and switch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that sounds like an angry letter to the editor. <laughs> Dear Social Improv. <laughs> okay, so I've done my promotion. What are you guys promoting? I, I, I was actually thinking we could talk about it, but we don't have time now. But uh, Kieran Healy wrote a blog post on the sociology of Steve Jobs. And it's very interesting because, of course, the death of Steve Jobs has been in the news. And it's a interesting take on, I imagine this could be very handy for people teaching the topic of charismatic authority and ex Faber in their, their sociology courses, where basically he goes through and looks at how Steve Jobs is being sort of the, the classical charismatic authority figure within Apple, and how now that he's gone, the routinization of charisma um, is, is this, this process where they're trying to take the magic of Steve's charisma and um, preserve it somehow it. in the and institutionalize yeah. it the way Apple works. <clears throat> so it's an interesting piece. You know what? I, I also had something to promote for people to look up or waste time on now that we're doing this whole thing. Um, maybe some of you have seen it, but it's called uh, Feminist Ryan Gosling. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, so they're feminist theory flashcards. And so there are these pictures of, you know, hunky Ryan Gosling looking hunky. And they always start with, hey, girl. And then they say, yeah. hey, girl, Derrida thinks language is fluid enough to break the gender divide, but nothing will split us apart. And just like that. And they are uh, both accurate and quite hilarious. Uh, so, you know, go waste five minutes reading all those. That's what I'm yeah. doing right now. Good times. They are 
delightful. Ah, Tumblogs. We're linking to a lot of Tumblogs in this particular episode, it seems. We're, you know, we're not afraid to go visual media on our audio listeners. It's kind of multimedia experience you expect from today's podcasters. So Sarah, Sarah you're gonna technically, get... yeah, you have something to promote. Or She's going to promote her party, artist. right? My gonna, party. Yeah, you're going to invite all the listeners and... Uh, invite the internet. Yeah, why don't you give out your address on the internet uh, yes. and invite the internet to your party. Exactly. So come to my party on the 29th nice. at my house. Sweet. Why are you having a party? Um, Because we've just finished repairing my house after the tornado. And that's not a joke. And um, <laughs> no, well, for would you like to maybe talk a bit about the tornado for loyal listeners who may not know what what, what went down? What a tornado sure. is? I mean, it was a big deal around here, <laughs> but I don't know how if it got national coverage. It, well, you it know, it got sure buried in the Joplin coverage. I yeah, think. exactly. I was um, out of the country. It was the same day know. as the Joplin tornado. Yeah, it was May twenty second, and so yeah, a little F one tornado ripped through. Uh, North Minneapolis, where I live, which also happens to be one of the most impoverished neighborhoods in the Twin Cities area. And so it wrecked a lot of stuff, and we've been dealing with that all summer. So, yeah, that's... that's and it was pretty crazy. I mean, there was a curfew instituted at some point, wasn't there? Because there's so yeah, yeah. much large night, swaths yep. without electricity and things. Right, the first night, and that was such a, like, strange overreaction, obviously, but... Sure. Yeah, kind of. We headed out uh, that night. Actually, we didn't stay here. We um, stayed with family in the area. But um, I heard from friends that you know there was just a lot of police cars driving by, lights shining in the window, you know, or just not shining in the window, but you know, police with their lights, you know, shining down the street, sure. you know, all that kind of stuff. So sounds like it was pretty, pretty interesting Sense. to be here. Yeah. So. And now your house is finally won again. It's it's almost there. Yeah, we had to rebuild a chimney and replace some windows and redo some stucco and some shingles and all kinds of stuff. So it's been uh, it's been really quite. A, you know, I, speaking of like social constructions and roles, like I felt it was very weird for me to sort of take on this role of being a natural disaster victim. It's just not something that I really knew how to be. This this whole this whole summer, it felt very strange to have people, you know, to be the one that's supposedly being like helped or rescued. It was very uh, a very interesting switch for me. But um, but yeah, things are things are lining up. Uh, not all the houses around here are though. It's pretty. It's a pretty. Um, yeah, I gotta say, uh, I also lived near there, and yeah, I saw some of the houses were insane. I remember one yeah. I'll never forget. Like the first time I drove by after that was. I mean, it looked like it was a dollhouse, and someone had just yeah. picked up the roof and set it down in the backyard. I mean, it was just, like, perfectly cleaved off sitting in the backyard. It was insane. Wow. Yeah, there are several of those. And then there's some, like, the dollhouse that people were referring to was one that was, like, essentially, like, the whole front side of the house was just kind of sh- collapsed and shaved off. And so you could literally look in, and the, none of the furniture had been moved or anything. Um, and it was, it was, it was just like looking in a dollhouse and... Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, insane. And it was amazing, too, that, like, how narrow of a path they kind of cut. Because, I mean, there were, there were houses two blocks away from me that were, like, nearly destroyed. And, like, there wasn't any damage to any house on my block. Yeah. Like, it's just amazing. 
Yeah, it was shocking to drive out that first night from my neighborhood or just my direct block or two and realize that just like three or four blocks down, it looked like nothing at all had happened. And yeah, it was so strange. It's so like just dissonance in my mind to go from literally a disaster zone where you can't even walk in my backyard without getting, you know, electrocuted or, or whatever to, wow, a few blocks away, it looks like we just kind of had a little rainstorm. Uh, it was very weird. Yeah, it was really surreal. I did. I was paying attention to to Minnesota news during that time, and they, this might sound overly sentimental, but it was really nice to hear positive stories coming out of the North Side after that happened uh-huh. about people coming together and neighbors helping neighbors and all of that, which is not what you usually hear about the North Side. So, yeah. if there's a silver lining, that was one of them. Yeah, and I think that was true. And there was obviously a, a huge influx of help coming in too. And you know, we were beneficiaries of you know a couple of like suburban kids i think they were going to one of the local colleges and they were literally just walking down the street and they're like hey can we help you out and at first i was like no i don't need help and then i looked around and i'm like heck yeah you can start picking up some of these (laughs) shingles you know and some of this from miles away and are now in my yard and go ahead with that that'd be great i'll give you a garbage bag so you know it was it was really it was really great i think um that's cool yeah minnesotans man they're just better people (laughs) all right we'll see you at the party then come to my party check it out (laughs) internet welcome welcome to uh, sarah's party all right cool well that seems like a successful um chris still didn't share his thing though yeah chris never shared a thing we can't do that we can't let him get away with this i endorse north minneapolis thank you (laughs) 